The most joyful man that ever lived was also the most hated. Jesus Christ continues to be uh, the most hated person of history, yet he will always be the happiest, and I think that is awesome. Uh, People don't like to be hated. People want to fit in. And sometimes people do crazy things in order to fit in. My mind goes to the Nazis. I, um, I believe one of the main reasons that the Nazis had such support is because people wanted to fit in more than they wanted to do what was true and do what was right. Same thing with the homosexual movement in America. I think most people in America believe in traditional marriage. But now, right now, there is a cost if you're going to speak out against homosexual marriage so people compromise the truth in order to be accepted. Mainline Protestant denominations have done this over this issue. Being accepted by the world is more valuable to most people than standing with Christ. And in effect, that steals their joy. It it robs them of something. So I want to communicate this morning a simple truth from John 16 that I believe will comfort you that I believe will reassure your heart as you face the hatred and persecution of the world. This simple truth can make you bold. Bold. And it can give you hope. It can help you sleep at night. Not because it's boring, you know, a snoozer, but because it's comforting. And you can have peace. Here's the truth. Jesus knows and holds your future, and preserves you as you abide in him and his word. Jesus knows and holds your future and preserves you as you abide in him and his word. Jesus knows your future. He reigns over your future and he will get you through your future. God loves you. God will take care of you. And that's what you need That love from God to know that you are loved, to know that you are accepted through Christ in order to endure the hatred and the persecution of the world, really in order to endure anything that comes your way. We have to remember that John 13 through 17 is one conversation between Jesus and his disciples, and we've been pretty much uh, chopping it up a little bit verse by verse and uh, going through the book that way, and every word of Jesus fits together it, it, it works together to strengthen and to train his disciples. So as you're tracking this, you're seeing Jesus train them. So let's review this for a little bit. It was the Jewish Passover and Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room at the Passover supper. Uh, in John 13, Satan was already working in Judas to betray Jesus. Jesus rose from supper and he washed his 12 disciples' feet in, in really what was a powerful act of humility and self-sacrifice, of love, sacrificial love. And his foot washing illustrated his cleansing them from sin, a cleansing that would be accomplished through his substitutionary atoning death. Jesus made his disciples clean By washing their feet, Jesus also gave them an example of humble and sacrificial love to imitate. But one of them in their midst was not clean. Judas. Judas was a traitor. Judas was a fake. Judas was a fraud. He, He didn't love Jesus and he didn't love the others. He was an enemy posing as a friend. And Judas left the supper obsessed with hatred. 
Jesus began to teach amazing things once he left to the remaining 11 disciples. He trained them for gospel ministry to go and to disciple the nations. The Holy Spirit of truth and power would help them accomplish that mission. Jesus told of his coming death and glorification and in light of what he commanded them to love one another sacrificially even to the point of death just as he loved them. He foretold Peter's three denials. In John 14, he comforted them with some very hopeful words of heaven. Jesus told them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He explained his oneness with the Father and promised them that that they would do even greater works than he did, which is mind-boggling. Jesus emphasized the power of prayer and that God would respond to prayer. He made sure to reinforce that true love for him was demonstrated by obedience to him. And that the power to obey and advance the gospel would come through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus and the Father would send, and the Father would love them. In John 15, Jesus used a helpful farming analogy, which I think is awesome, a metaphor of a vine and the branches to teach them their desperate need of him, their desperate need to be in him, to be abide in him, to be grafted and connected to him. They were desperate for him and how he would produce much fruit in and through them as they abided in him, as they abided in his word, and God would receive glory from it all. He taught them about the father's loving discipline or that pruning that uh, God cuts things from our lives and he made sure that they knew that they were completely helpless apart from him. Everything that they would do would be in him, attached to him. And Jesus warned them that if anyone uh, didn't abide in him, that that person would burn in hell forever. Again, Jesus brought up love, the Father's love for him, his love for them, and the love that they were supposed to share as the covenant community of God. And the sovereignty of God became clear as Jesus told them that he chose them and he appointed them to go and bear fruit. Jesus then warned them of the coming hatred and persecution of the world, yet at the same time, he offered hope in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit of truth. Jesus, you could say, covered some serious ground here during this dinner time with his friends. And much of it was hard to hear, but all of it was glorious. Jesus trained 11 men to be leaders and he charged them with spreading the good news of his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Their mission, go and tell. Go and tell, disciples. And this is where you need to understand what the Bible is all about. What is the Bible about? Many of you have never read it from start to finish. You don't know what the Bible is about, perhaps. Many of you might have gotten kind of confused through the years of just hearing different uh, maybe moralistic sermons and Sunday school lessons and you might be really confused about what, what is the Bible about. The Bible is not primarily law or a how-to book, an instruction manual. The primary message isn't do this, don't do that. You see, the Bible is so much more than that. The Bible is the beautiful self-revelation of God. The Bible is a book about 
God. It's the revelation. He's revealing Himself to us through words. The Bible is about God. The Bible communicates the limitless beauty and glory of God. It's a book about how an eternal and holy and sovereign and gracious God pursues and saves sinners and reconciles them to Himself through His Son in order for them to become His people. To glorify Him forever and therein to find their greatest joy and pleasure in Him forever. So the Bible is ultimately a living book. It's alive. It's a book about God gathering His people who are scattered all across the world. The nations. And He's graciously and lovingly, He's he's pursuing them. He's going after them through the gospel witness of believers, and you got to understand that second part. God is using His people to reach His soon-to-be people for His glory. And that's what the Bible is about. God pursuing and saving sinners for His glory and their eternal joy and everlasting joy in His glory. Now, Jesus hasn't returned yet. Judgment Day is yet to come. It's in the future for us. Why is that? Well, it's because more people need to be saved through the witness of believers. Jesus hasn't come back yet because not everyone who will be saved is saved. There are more people out there, more people that have to hear, more people that have to repent and believe, more disciples to be made. And what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 14, captures this. He said this, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Jesus will return when the gospel has been proclaimed to every nation. Can you see why it is such a pressing mission for us to make disciples of all nations? We are still here because God's mission of saving people is not yet fully accomplished. And God keeps us here to proclaim the good news of His Son, Jesus Christ, to the nations. And for most of us, that means go and tell right here in Lancaster County. You you might not have to get on a ship or a plane and go. You're called to go here where God planted you to Lancaster County to make disciples. So here's what our focus needs to be. What can we do together to proclaim the glorious gospel to a world that does not want to hear it, but desperately needs to hear it? We're not going out to have people say, oh, wonderful, I was waiting for you to come. No, we're going to be met with resistance many times. But at the the heart of that person is desperation to hear the gospel desperation. How can we endure hatred and persecution in order to relentlessly proclaim the good news of Christ? This is what John 13 through 17 is for. This is the purpose. Jesus was training his disciples to go and bear witness as God gathers his people to himself. Go disciples. I'm training you up in these last moments with you and I'm going to be with you here for a little while longer and I'm going to train you. I'm going to tell you what's important to equip you for the persecution and hatred that you're going to have when you go and tell. So indirectly, Jesus is training you. 
through these verses to go and tell. To bear witness. His words are training you to boldly proclaim his name. Even when the world hates you. Even when the world persecutes you. He is preparing you. He is making you ready. Everything he said in these passages and ever is worth hearing. Everything he said will help you contribute to the mission. We all have the same mission. His mission. His mission is our mission. Christians are working together with Jesus on his mission. Jesus knows and holds the future, your future, and he preserves you as you abide in him and his word. That's important when hatred and persecution come. That one truth will calm your troubled soul and embolden you when it looks like our fearless leader isn't leading. It does look that way sometimes. Where are you, God? Did you miss this one? But he's right there. And this truth holds you to know, no, I know he's right there. He's beaten me to my future. He's in my future. He's leading. He is preventing us from giving up. Jesus never guaranteed an easy life. In fact, he guaranteed a hard life. And he guarantees all of his disciples that he'll get them through it. All right. When our children's ministry went to Refreshing Mountain Pool together, uh, there was this big, awesome, like, kiddie park section where they had these big tubes and everything, and you had these fountains spraying out, and you had this big, huge waterfall that's going down. And, and my uh, youngest son, Peter, is tentative around water. Now, he's okay if he's with somebody, but he's not barreling through anything. And, uh, but he loves being in the water as long as someone's with him. Now, Peter wouldn't try to break through that waterfall by himself. You're not going to see him like, where's Peter? Oh, and he's right through the water. Not going to happen. There's a lot of water dumping down, but he wanted to go through it with me. He wanted to do it together. And he knew that we could make it together. That if if dad carried him through, he'd make it. And uh, so I tripped and fell, and he almost drowned. No, I'm kidding. We did actually make it through, which is great. I'm glad that we did. But uh, Jesus knows your future. He's already in your future. He is sovereign over your future, and he'll go with you right through your future. Jesus isn't infinitely good because he takes affliction away in this life. He is infinitely good because he preserves you in affliction and gives you eternal joy in him after the affliction is done. Do you get that? Jesus knows and holds your future and preserves you as you abide in him and his word. That's how his disciples could face and endure the hatred and persecution of the world. So I want you to see this in the text. Jesus knows and holds your future. I just want this to encourage you this morning. It was the night before the cross and Jesus knew what was ahead. Tough things were on the horizon for him and his disciples. But things that would bring joy. And Jesus was honest. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Whoa, who who said anything about death here, Jesus? About being killed for this? There would be casualties in this war. 
Many disciples would be killed for Christ. And Jesus was certain about this. He was certain about the future. They will put you out. The hour is coming. Whoever kills you will think. And they will do these things when their hour comes. The future was certain and Jesus knew it. Verse 2 clarifies what Jesus meant back in John 15, verses 20 and 21. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. But all these things they will do to you on my account. Your future is certain. Expect it. It's coming. It will happen to you if you are faithful. And persecution would come. They'd be tossed out of synagogues. Which wasn't new. Back in John 9, after Jesus healed this blind man, if you remember that, verse 22 says, His parents feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Wasn't new. Then John 12, 42 says this, Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be... Put out of the synagogue. Side with Jesus and be persecuted. That was it. Simple as that. You stand with Jesus, persecution is coming. This is what William Hendrickson, I greatly respect uh, the work that he has done. He said this about the threat of excommunication. They would be cut off from the hopes and prerogatives of the Jews. They would be viewed by their former friends as worse than pagans. They would lose their jobs, would be exiled by their families, and would even lose the privilege of an honorable burial. There was a high cost in standing with Jesus. There are costs to standing with Christ. Jesus knew those costs, and he wanted to prepare his disciples for what was coming. Excommunication from the synagogues wasn't the worst of it. Homicide was coming. There's a, a lovely topic the disciples would be killed in the name of Jesus Christ. Killed for Christ. Their killers would even think that what they were doing was honoring to God. That it was service to God. The word service from verse 2 is latreia, which is a religious act of worship. So Jesus was saying that homicide would be considered uh, by some as a religious act of worship. The murderers think, I'm serving God, I'm worshiping God by taking this Christian's life. That's really messed up. Really messed. A slight aside, this is still happening. Christians are being beheaded by Muslims in the name of Allah because they believe that glorifies God. In the Indian state of Orissa, Christians were forced to convert to Hinduism or die. This one might surprise you. Former and late apostle and president of the Mormon church, Brigham Young, there's a university named after him, preached a controversial doctrine called blood atonement, which means that if a Mormon commits certain sins, like leaving the Mormon faith, apostasy, the blood of Jesus can't atone for those sins, and only their own blood could atone for their sins. In other words, according to Brigham Young, if a Mormon leaves Mormonism and becomes a Christian, murdering them is a way to save them. You get that? 
homicide for historic and fundamentalist Mormonism could be loving and honoring to God. Just kill them. Then their own blood will atone for the sin of leaving the Mormon church. Now, modern day, to be clear, modern day Mormonism distances itself big time from this doctrine. They're not going to say that they embrace this at all. And they've changed, Mormonism has changed its doctrine so many times through the years that Mormonism has zero credibility. None. It's flat out false. And it's easy to see that. Call the Smithsonian. Uh, they have no evidence for some of you know, the things written in the Book of Mormon. But blood atonement is a historic and fundamentalist Mormon view. There have been homicides allegedly linked to blood atonement through history. Jesus was right. He knew the future. Persecution and killings began with the 11 and they continue now, today, even by very, very religious people, very religious groups. Satan controls world religions. Many people still believe it honors God to persecute and kill Christians. That's why across the world, just look up religious persecution. There are hostile country after hostile country. What Jesus said in verse 3 is really fascinating considering who he was talking about. Synagogues were Jewish places of worship. And Jews claimed to know and worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of David, the God of the prophets. But Jesus said, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. And Jesus said that earlier in John 15, 21. These people don't know God. Understand this. Let this sink in. Many devoutly religious people who claim to love God don't actually know God. They don't love him, they hate him. They might say they serve him. Paul, think of Paul. He thought he was doing good work for God in the name of God to, to persecute and bust up Christian families. They hate him. The universal test is this. What do they make of the person and work of Jesus Christ? What someone believes about Jesus reveals what they believe about God. Love for Jesus reveals a love for God. So Jesus knew what was coming for his disciples. And I want you to apply that. Jesus knows your future. He knows your future. He's all-knowing. He knows every last detail about what's going to happen to you in your life. He knows everything. You can trust Jesus with the uncertainty of life because Jesus is your certainty for life. Your future. Nothing in your life surprises Jesus. Nothing comes out and, whoa, I wasn't anticipating that. I'm sorry, I missed that one. Nothing surprises him. He saw it all coming and his words will prepare you to endure everything. And when I say endure everything, I mean the word of Jesus will help you endure everything. But I also want you to see that Jesus is sovereign over your future. So, friends, don't worry. I know that's easier said than done. I'm a huge worrier. Don't worry. Jesus holds your future. He holds your future. He said in verse 4, But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. It was me, Jesus Christ, that told you these things were happening. Jesus wanted his disciples to know that the hatred and the persecution of the world fit into God's sovereign plan for them. 
It's part of God's plan. It's part of God's purpose. And he wanted them to know that he knew all about it. That he knew it was coming. He told them about everything before it actually happened. So that when it happened, they could look back on him and say, he told us this. He readied us for this. The cross, if you think about it, was the single most heinous act of persecution against Jesus. And he explained it before it happened because it was God's plan and purpose for him to go to the cross. Jesus made sure that his disciples knew that he knew exactly what was coming. And that shows control. That shows sovereignty. That shows unlimited knowledge. And it builds confidence in Christ. He's got this. You know, his disciples could say, if they reflected back, he told us this would happen. He was so good to warn us of this so that when it came, I'd be ready. And I am ready because he told us he would not leave us or forsake us. He is with us through this. He'll get us through. Can we just sing it for a moment? This is wild. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. And that includes the persecution of Christians. He's got it. It's all in his hands. And these few verses should comfort you that though difficulty will come for you, though hatred and persecution will come, Jesus knows and holds your future. You can trust him. He's in your future already, waiting there with future grace and future love and future mercy. He will carry you through. Jesus knows and holds your future, and Jesus preserves you as you abide in him and his word. When I say that Jesus is in your future, understand what I mean, that he transcends time. He's God. He transcends time, and therefore, he is going to walk with you when you get there. Whatever that there may be, he is there. And he will give you what you need. He'll go through your future with you. His promises are good for tomorrow too. To borrow from John Piper, this is living by faith in future grace. Living by faith in future grace. Faith is believing that Jesus will preserve you by his grace tomorrow too. He will be everything you need today and in the future. And knowing that, then we will be able to endure hatred and persecution in a way that, that honors. You know, this is hard hearing that these things are coming for Christians. This is not easy. Especially consider this, considering that Jesus is the epitome of beauty and love and truth. Everything good. So to see beauty and goodness strongly rejected and trampled on by the world is tough to see. People reject Christ and then they suffer for it. And we watch and we say, I have an answer for that. But they just won't hear. And that's hard to see because the very thing that brings healing and restoration and reconciliation with God, they don't want to hear it. That's just painful. There, do you get what I'm saying? Like it's, it's this... Um, Please, just listen. But we can't make them listen. See, the Spirit does that work. So we watch. We don't want people to hate us. We don't want to go through suffering. But we don't want other people to suffer either. I hope that's true. So we need something to anchor us in affliction. What will anchor you? 
What anchors you when affliction comes? What will keep you from giving up? Just saying, this is too hard. I didn't sign up for this, Jesus. I thought you were going to make everything okay in my life, and you didn't. What keeps you from falling away? Jesus told them, verse 1, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. What, what did he mean by falling away? It's the Greek word skandalizo. And you can hear the word scandal, skandalizo in there. And it means to cause someone to stumble. Or in the New Testament, it's used figuratively to being led into sin or to fall away from the faith. Apostasy is in mind here. Walking away in unbelief. Here's an example of that. In the parable of the sower from Matthew 13, Jesus explained it like this. Verses 20 and 21. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Do you understand what's happening? Oh yes, God's word. I love this. This is precious to me. And then he gets persecuted for it, and he says, that's not worth it. And he falls away because it had no root. It never went deep down inside. It starts great. Here, receive with joy, but no root. And so things get hard and he can't stand the wind and the rain and the hurricane. And so he just crumbles and he falls away. It's what we call apostasy. Now follow me here. Jesus and his disciples would soon leave the upper room. We're getting there. And Matthew told us that after they left, Jesus said this to them, Matthew 26, verse 31. You will all fall away because of me this night. But in John 16, 1, he said he would keep them from falling away. What's up with that? And this is where you need to understand how God's sovereign grace works. The disciples did fall away that night. They did scatter. They did retreat. They did deny him three times. But... Jesus preserved them in the long run. His grace kept them from finally falling away because he kept pulling them back. His grace kept them. Yes, Peter denied him three times, but look what Jesus accomplished through Peter the rest of his life. Oh, he kept him in the long run until the end. He persevered. When Jesus said, I have said all these things to you, I think he was referring to what he had said at, the, at that supper in the upper room. His words would keep them from falling away. What would keep them from falling away? His words. His words. His truth. And I want you to really think about the importance of God's word in enduring, in not falling away, in persevering in the faith. What if Jesus, think about this, told them all the awesome stuff about following him. He's pumping it up. He's making it sound great. But he never told them about the inevitable hard stuff. And so it came to them as a surprise. What would that have done to their faith? Could have wrecked it. Because they would have been caught completely by surprise that it actually was hard living for Jesus. And they might have thought, he's abandoning us. He's not even here to supply us with this. He never told us about any of this. I never knew that this is what the cost was. 
You know, and this is part of the reason why the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel is so stinking dangerous and destructive in people's lives. Because it can't prepare them for the inevitable affliction that comes with following Jesus Christ. It gives them this whole happy, skippy stuff. Jesus gives you everything that you want. He wants you to be happy, healthy. When the scripture talks about suffering and affliction and pain and hatred and persecution... See, the tough words of Jesus built into the disciples a resiliency and fortitude to withstand persecution so that in the end they may be saved. And people, can I just say, that's why I want to preach hard things. Because that will help you when the going gets tough. Not this message of, he'll give you a Porsche if you ask him. How will that help you get through the the death of a loved one? Or when someone says, oh, you believe in Jesus? Click, click. How does that help you endure? It doesn't. He gave them what would help them endure. Why is it essential for Christians to study the Bible? His word. Just look at verse 1. The Bible preserves you when life gets tough because of Jesus. He makes it tough. The Bible strengthens you. God's word should so penetrate your heart and mind that when hatred and persecution come because of Jesus, and they will come, you are ready, you are prepared, you are equipped, you are trained. Why do you think so many so-called Christians live just like the world? No distinction. They say Jesus, but they live like hell. What? It's because God's word has no root in them and Jesus isn't worth the pain and suffering that comes with following him. Jesus isn't worth it. Let's just be honest. I'll abandon him and the gospel if it somehow makes life easier for me. And that shows they have no root. The word of God. The word of God is so essential for your life and mine. But it was more than his words that would keep them from falling away. He spoke the words. In verse 4, he emphasized that he told them all about the future. Words cannot be detached from the origin of the words. And it came from Jesus himself. Jesus would keep them from falling away. John 13 through 17 is about Jesus preserving his disciples. They would make it because of him. That's why he talks so much about sending them the Holy Spirit. I want you to be strengthened. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to draw strength and hope from what Jesus said. Jesus knows and holds your future and will preserve you as you abide in him and his word. Now, if you're scared like me to face the the hatred and persecution of the world, know that Jesus said he would take care of you. That's a promise. He won't leave you. He's with you. And he is strong. And he can take on everything. He's overcome the world. He can do anything. The man who can do anything is with you. He sent his spirit to help us. His word is within us and will help us. What did Jesus tell his disciples right before he ascended? I am with you always to the end of the age. So he would be with them through hatred and persecution preserving them and giving them strength and helping them to put one foot in front of the other. Friends, there is something worse than dying. Did you know that? It's falling away from Christ in apostasy. It's not caring anymore. It's detaching yourself from Christ. 
It's being Judas. It's giving up. It's walking away. It's not caring anymore. Do you know people who don't care about God? They don't care. Their lives show it. The way they orient their priorities shows it. They don't care about God. They have no urgency for spiritual things. And I'm telling you, fear for them. Fear for them. Fear for their souls because they are not abiding in the word of Christ. They tightrope walk over hell. And their rope is unraveling. They haven't gone down yet, but they will. It is the precious and powerful word of Jesus that keeps us from falling away. It is the presence of the Holy Spirit in us that keeps us from falling away. We must abide in Christ and his word. And as we do, brothers and sisters, Jesus will preserve us no matter how bad it gets. No matter how bad it gets, he will take care of us. And we don't know what America is going to be in the next 10 years. But let's just look at the trajectory of what the last 10 years have been like. It's not looking good. And there may come a day when a gun is in your chest. In mine. It probably would be in mine before it would be in yours. I'm just guessing. Maybe not. Have no fear. Have no fear. Christ knows and holds your future, and by his power and grace, he will preserve us. What if I told you there was a way to be happier because of the hatred and persecution of the world? That that actually would fuel your joy from inside of you? Your teeth get kicked out for Christ, and you smile with what teeth you have left, with joy in your heart, because of him. How? How is that even possible to have an indestructible joy like that? The words of Jesus keep you from falling away, but they do more. They give you full joy. Didn't he say that? These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Full. I'd like to end with Luke 6, 22 and 23, which show you the connection between persecution and indestructible joy. Listen to this. Blessed, or you could say happy, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because behold, and this is the part that has to land today, your reward is great in heaven. You have an eternal inheritance coming for you. Your reward is great in heaven. Any little bit of pain and persecution and hatred we face from the world now is infinitely worth it for joy in Christ. And the unbelievable reward that is coming right for you, it's for you. It's your reward. You can enjoy it. You just can't enjoy it quite yet. You have to endure until the end in Christ, and then it's yours forever. It will all Be worth it in the end. Let's pray. God, you are so good. You're awesome. You have spoken the truth to us so clearly. This is not difficult to understand. You know, for the the person who doesn't know you, God, and doesn't know Christ, of course, it's just rubbish. They can't get it. But for us who really delight in Christ, this makes perfect sense, and we want that reward. And so 
this momentary affliction in this life will not stop us from having indestructible and eternal joy in you, Jesus Christ. Help us. You know our future. You hold our future. Oh, now God, preserve us through our future as we abide in you and your word. And I pray that Jerusalem Church can just abide in you and abide in your word. God, help us to see that great, great inheritance and to long for it and and help the, the hatred and persecution of the world not to slow us up from getting what we want most, joy in you, God. In Christ's name we pray, amen.